Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Raise Your Expectation by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, I thank you this morning that you are always broadcasting and you desire to speak to us. And, and I pray right now that we, we would be tuned in. Holy Spirit, we need your help. Take these words. I speak words, Lord, you transform lives. That's what I pray for right now, that you, Lord, would take these words into open hearts and open eyes, I pray, in your wonderful name. Amen. Has anybody here uh, been to New York City? A few. Okay. It's a wonder you came back. No, I'm joking. New York City, uh, a fact I found out recently that I was unaware of, is New York City, when it was initially in its conception stage and they were planning uh, for New York City, they planned the parameters not to exceed 9th Street. And if anybody's been to New York, you'll probably understand it now extends, I think last count was 284th Street. And you know what? We could do with some more expectation in our lives. And I want to speak about expectation and I want to speak about hope this morning. And it's an interesting analogy. You know, so often we live with a Ninth Street perception of God, don't we? We, we live with a Ninth Street perception when God says, I want to extend this to the 284th Street. I love that about God. Now to him, he was able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask, think or imagine. Blessed be his wonderful name. So... Uh, I'd like to throw up the first quote. John Maxwell says in speaking of hope and expectation, he says, where there is no hope in the future, there is no power in the present. There is deep motivation uh, in in our hope and our expectation. These guys planning uh, New York City at the time didn't understand they had all the geography that they needed. They had everything there, but how could they possibly have raised their sights for it to extend to 284th Street? So as we move through today, and I will come back to First Peter, but I want to speak about, and I want to give this flesh and bones from the Gospels, uh, because Peter, as we know, he writes to suffering Christians, and uh, you know we are an increasing. I don't want to speak. I don't want to pretend I'm speaking prophetically this morning because I don't intend to be. But the truth is this: there is mounting pressure on the Church of Jesus Christ. Wherever you go, there is mounting pressure. Being a Christian and a believer for Jesus Christ in five years from today will look different than it does today. Uh, What we hold dear in marriage is under pressure. What we hold dear as the sanctity of life is under pressure. And they are just a couple of things. But being a Christian will mean that you will have to... God, it's an amazing thing how God sometimes draws a line and says, you know what, we're going to cut out the grey here. And if you're, if you're one of my believers, then you're going to have to either pick a side because God doesn't have a secret service in the kingdom of God. The Vatican does, but we don't have a secret service in the kingdom of God. And it's amazing how increasing pressure can bring that out. And Peter's writing to Christians who are under pressure... Peter is writing in his epistle to Christians who, who are suffering. I mean, imagine for a moment, let me give you an idea, let me bring it into, the, into our day and our time of what would happen. These guys are suffering in such a way that imagine you went to Woolworths and you filled up your trolley full of all the goods that you needed for the week and you went to the checkout and they know that you're a Christian. So you get to the checkout and they go, we don't want your money and you're not welcome here. 
Then imagine you walk across the road to Coles only to find the same thing. And wherever you go, nobody wants to deal with you or associate with you. In fact, some places they will go as far as to take what it is that you have. That's what it meant in the first century to say, I'm a follower of Jesus. Because the Jews persecuted adamantly. You couldn't do business. You couldn't trade. We don't want to associate with you. I don't want to say times like that are coming, but increasing pressure is certainly coming. And to some degree, we need it. There was a woman, and I love the account of this woman in the Gospels. And for those that were able to come to the combined uh, life group study, the combined Bible study at the start of the month, we had a look at the book of Acts and the, book of, uh, and the Gospels and how the miracles in the Gospels are more descriptive than they are prescriptive. Each miracle in the Gospels is different. Have you noticed that? Some people, Jesus seeks them out. Uh, Other people seek Jesus out. Uh, Jesus tells some of them to go to the priest, others not. Some have got to go wash, bathe. It's all different. There's no prescription here, but there's a description of people who encounter Jesus. That's the important thing. The important thing is encountering Christ. And I love the account of this lady. As we, uh, Mark chapter 5 tells it best, uh, which is from the words of Peter, most of Uh, theologians would say and if we pick it up at verse 24 it says and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him Jesus has just uh, met the the man with a legion of demons and how Jesus radically transforms him his reputation is growing we're going to touch on that in a moment but please understand that Jesus is in a place right now where a crowd is thronging about him But there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, but wasn't any better, but grew worse. You know, that's, that's sometimes that's our testimony. We, we suffer things in life. We go through circumstances, whatever it looks like. And no matter what we've done, no matter what avenue we've tried, we don't get any better. We grow worse. But there was a turning point. She had heard the reports. I love those words. She had heard the reports about Jesus. There's there's a world out there clamouring for hope. And they need some good reports. There's some people out there today. When when I worked at the LGH hospital, I think I can say that. I think it's a reasonably... When I worked at the LGH hospital, which is a small town in Launceston... But can I tell you that there were four rooms on the kids' ward dedicated, dedicated and never empty. Four rooms dedicated for adolescents who were trying to take their own life. What is wrong with our so-called altogether kind of society when we can't offer hope to our adolescents? And they're not the only ones. Suicide is the leading cause of death in men aged up to 44 years of age in Australia. This is terrible. This is terrible. I know there's medical circumstances that surround that. I get that. I have a family member on my wife's side who suffers with this. I get the complexities of it. But people are clambering for hope and they're looking for good reports. 
And she had heard the reports about Jesus and she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garments. Can you see that? She's heard the reports. There was this guy that had all these demons in him and he used to cut himself and he was in the tombs, but he encountered Jesus. She's heard these reports and it fills her heart with expectation. And friends, can I tell you, if you want expectation to grow in your hearts, change the reports that you're listening to. She heard the reports about Jesus. She came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his garments for she said, listen to these words, if I touch even his garments, listen to it, if I just touch him, I will be made well. Oh, there was a woman, friends. There is a deep lesson we must learn here. The first one is, it is possible to be thronging about Jesus and be associated with Jesus and hang around with Jesus and for Jesus to have a little effect on you. But there is also great hope in this story when if you could just reach out. She said, I will be made well. Immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, I love this, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? There's hundreds of people here. Listen to what the disciples say. And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? Yeah, they're pressing around me, but somebody touched me. Somebody reached out. Somebody was filled with enough expectation to reach out and grab hold of my garments. I want to encourage you today that no matter what you are going through, we're going, to, we're going to have a look at what Peter's got to write to some suffering Christians. But I want to tell you that expectation can make all the difference. Hope is, hope is like the blueprint. You know when you want to build a house? The best way to understand the relationship between faith and hope is hope is like the blueprints for the house. Faith is when the builders turn up. It's the action part. But can I tell you, no blueprint, no house. And every one of us need, uh, Peter will, as we get, work our way through his, his epistle, he will tell us to set our hope in a certain place. We'll look at that next time. But hope must have an object. We must set our hope in the person, Jesus Christ. Let us turn to First uh, Peter, first chapter. We, last week we looked at the first two verses. Uh, the week before we looked at the person writing the letter, which is Peter, and the amazing transformation that happens in Peter's life. Then last week we looked at all these words that uh, people like to fight about, like foreknowledge and uh, predestination and all these sorts of things, but there's some beautiful, profound truth found in the message of those words and, of course, the message of Scripture. Then we come to verse 3. I love this. Peter kicks it off with, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. And this, this phrase, caused us to be born again, if you put it into the Hebrew, it would read beget or begotten. So when you read the genealogies in the Old Testament and such and such begat, it just means that you have been birthed and you came through the lineage. God is the one that has caused us to be born again. And, and, and I love uh, the phrasing here, it says, Born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But the New Living Translation says that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we live with great expectation. That's a great way to write that. 
Why do we live with great expectation? Because 2,000 years ago, a man suffered on a cross, according to the world standards, a man suffered on a cross, was put in a tomb. But we have reason to live with great expectation because the tomb's empty. Nothing is impossible for my God. God removes all the boundaries when Jesus comes out of that tomb. All the boundaries, all the fences, they're gone. So this living hope is the life that we live with great expectation. As I said before, hope must have an, o- an object and it is our blueprint. And Peter is writing to suffering Christians and he says, you guys have got a great reason to be filled with expectation. I'm glad you spoke about joy, Brother Rob. We're going to touch on joy in a moment and, and list those things. But he goes on and he says... Uh, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance, that's a beautiful, profound word, to an inheritance that, listen to these words, is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Uh, A lady I used to work for, who was my boss, uh, has been, back in Tasmania, has been describing the horrendous events that have gone through in her life since her mum passed away. And she said, all this has just been gone. That's not what happens with God. And I want to unpack this word inheritance because nobody can take it away from you. Nobody can rob you of your inheritance. And the most profound thing about it is it begins now. It gets its fruition and its fulfillment Of course, when we enter into eternity with Christ, of course, that's when it comes into its fullest culmination. But let me me, uh, give you an analogy that Peter's drawing on here when he speaks of inheritance. He will continue to refer back to the Old Testament, but here he refers back to Israel and the land of Canaan. Right from Abraham, right from the initial covenant, God says, I will give you the land of Canaan as your inheritance. And from that point on, he keeps it for Israel. Abraham never occupies that land. Jacob never occupies that land. Israel goes into slavery for 400 years. And then they come out of Egypt by the power of God. They enter into the wilderness. I'm going to ask a question here this morning for all our budding theologians. Of all the many, many thousands of Israelites that entered the wilderness out of Egypt, how many entered the land of Canaan? Two. Top of the class, Rob. You can sit at the front. (laughs) Two. All the others perish in the wilderness. A new generation comes and goes on in with Joshua and Caleb into the promised land. And Peter is saying, just as God kept an inheritance for the people of Israel, he's keeping an inheritance for you. This is the funny thing about the inheritance that Peter's talking about. You can't measure it in monetary value. And you can't measure it by parameters of land or anything like that. In fact, what God says to Abraham in the beginning, interesting covenant. He says, if you're going to follow me, Abraham, uh, I'm going to make you a father of many, of a huge nation, of a multitude. And you're going to suffer for 400 years. And then God says, I will be your exceeding and great reward. And Abraham says, I'm in. I'm in. You see, our inheritance isn't measured in monetary values. It's a person. What more could the God of the universe give us than the fullness of himself? And it begins here now. It can't be taken away. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. Thank you. 
I need land, water, fish. I'm done. Leave me for eternity. I've put in my blueprint. What kept them out of possessing? That is interesting, isn't it? What kept Israel out of possessing Canaan? A 40-day trip that took them 40 years going round and round the mountain. And it's funny, isn't it? We kind of look back at Israel and, and we throw stones at them a little bit and go, look at those Israelites, those unbelieving Israelites. Took them forever to get into the promised land. And yet, so often we go round and round the mountain ourselves, don't we? God says, I'll sift those attitudes before you cross the Jordan. It's interesting because uh, Peter in his epistle refers to us as a royal priesthood. And when, when Israel finally does enter into Canaan, the land is divided up, the inheritance is portioned out. And then he turns to the Levites, the priests, and he says, I am your inheritance. I am your portion. You'll have no boundaries here on earth. Interesting. Peter goes on, he says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. Oh, Peter, Peter, Peter. There's been a change in Peter to come up with words like this. The best way to understand the phrase guarded through faith is for us to understand it in regards of protective custody. We've all seen the movies and uh, until recently I was unaware that even this church has its own mafia unit. (laughs) Mature age fellowship in action, I found out on Thursday. (laughs) Everyone's like, oh, hang on a second. (laughs) Who's the godfather? No. Well, it's Terry, of course. Guarded through. We all understand how protective custody works. We've seen the movies, haven't we? You know, somebody decides I'm going to cross the line. I'm going to go. I'm going to go snitch on everybody. And uh, they say, well, you know what? We're going to. You give us this. We're going to put you into protective custody. And it's interesting how it kind of lines up similarly to 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 our life in Christ, isn't it? Because what they're saying to this person is, I'm going to send you away to a completely new place. I'm going to give you a new address. I'm going to give you a new name. In fact, what we're going to do is give you a completely new identity. That interesting. Uh, kind of similar to what happens when we come into Christ. I'm going to give you a completely new identity and nobody's going to be able to find you. Nobody's going to be able to hurt you because while you're in my protective custody, nobody can access you. That's what guarded through faith looks like. And just as you must uh, enter into protective custody and, you know, that person who's in protective custody, as stupid as this sounds, at any point in time could put their hand up and say, You know what, I want to go back to my old life, get back to my old name, and all of a sudden they're open, aren't they? And and we've seen seen all those movies where the identity of the witnesses that's in protective custody is released, and all of a sudden there's huge threat. But while we, by faith, remain in protective custody, we are guarded. These are beautiful words to people that are suffering and we're going to get to the suffering part in them. I know we don't want to talk about suffering, but Peter does. So we're going to touch on it before we leave. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter says, in this, in this inheritance, in this being guarded in faith, in this you rejoice. Hang on a second, that doesn't make sense. These guys are suffering. These guys are being persecuted. Uh, We're going to see that in a moment that they're going through various trials and you're telling me, Pastor, that these guys are rejoicing? Absolutely. Absolutely. Here's the difference between joy and happiness and it's a pretty easy distinction to make. 
Happiness is, re- is dependent upon your circumstances, usually your immediate circumstances. Joy is not, and your immediate circumstances cannot rob you of your joy. Is that Suri? <laughs> what did Suri say joy was? No, it's a The word joy is a feeling of great pleasure and delight. And I love how John Piper unpacks this. Uh, uh, John Piper would call himself a Christian hedonist. And uh, he would say that we should place all of our joy, all of our delight in God. And then nobody can rob that from you. He goes as far as to say, I'm a Christian hedonist. I just absolutely uh, want to revel in all that is God. The word rejoice is to activate that joy. And what does that look like? It looks like verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of my Lord Jesus Christ. It looks like David, when he's being hassled by Saul, he's being chased, persecuted and cornered. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. That's what rejoicing looks like. It looks like setting all of your affections and all of your delight where nobody can take it away from you. It's why Peter and Paul were singing in prison after they'd been flogged. It is the secret to the flourishing of the church and it is the greatest Christian witness to a world that is flourishing in despair. Robert Shuler says beautifully, as we move forward into talking about suffering, he says, joy is not the absence of suffering, it is the presence of God. Joy is not the absence of circumstances that come against us. Joy is when no matter what we are going through, we have the fullness of the presence of God. So often we get that round the wrong way. It's interesting that uh, if you read the letters of Paul to all the churches... He never prays once that their affliction be removed. He never prays once for their circumstances to change. He prays that their faith will remain, that they will find the fullness of the love of God, that they will increase in the knowledge of God. He never prays. He prays for them to remain steadfast, but he never prays for it to be removed. There's a good reason for that. We're going to touch on it before we leave. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Please, underline the word various. James says exactly the same thing. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. I love, I love the wording here because to be grieved is to cause grief or distress. And I love the fact that Peter does not rebuke them for feeling that way. Ever had a bad day and thought you just want to have a whinge at God? Peter doesn't rebuke people for doing that. Peter does not rebuke you for feeling that way because that is probably a natural result sometimes of what comes against us. What he is doing is encouraging them and urging them to look beyond that. You have been grieved by various trials. Oh, how the trials that come against us are various. For some people, it could be financial. For some people, it could be relational within their, within their households, amongst their children or their spouse. It can be within our health. But oh, how the trials are various. If you're sitting here this morning, I, I want to warn you. If you're sitting here this morning going, Pastor, everything's good. I'm cruising. Uh, all is well. Can I tell you to put your seatbelt on and buckle it tight? Someone's about to push the button on that bull and you'll have to ride it. 
If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith. This is what I love. This is what we find in the book of Job. The greatest joy that we can take from the afflictions that come against us is there is always purpose in them. Let's have a a really, 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 really quick look at the theology surrounding suffering. I want to make it clear. Bible makes three ways, basically the Bible outlines three ways that afflictions and hardships and suffering can come, come on us. The first one, not very common, but the first one is that it can sometimes come at the hand of God. And we see this in the life of King Saul. He sent an evil spirit to torment King Saul. Not common. The next one is that God allows circumstances to come on us. And this is where we reach the book of Job. And if you read the first two chapters of the book of Job, we're given insight into what happens. You know, a conversation is struck up between God and the enemy. And I love uh, what happens here because even in the Old Testament, the enemy, I'm going to paraphrase it really easily for you. The enemy comes and says, I would like to get at Job, but I can't because you've got a hedge of protection around him. And nothing happens to Job until two things happen. First, God removes the hedge. Second, he sets the parameters. He says to the enemy, uh, you may touch all that he has, but you have to leave him alone. And the second time he says, you can touch his body, but leave his life. And friends, scripture is clear. Sometimes God allows circumstances to come against us. And because of the wonderful book of Proverbs, we're able to understand that the third one is, sometimes hardship comes on us because we're idiots. And we make stupid decisions. And God said, we're going to have to put Proverbs right in the middle so that you guys have got to go past it every time you're going back and forth. Because we continually make the same decisions. But there is purpose. You see, even in the life of Job, all that happens to Job, what we do is we get to uh, chapter 42 and verse 5, and something profound and miraculous has happened in the life of Job. He, he puts his hand up. He says, you know what? Uh, at one point in time, I had heard of you with the hearing of the ear, God, but now my eye sees you. Something's happened. Something's been torn down in my life. We actually see a man deeply reliant on his systems and, and, and keeping everything in check. And God says, I'm going to take all that away until you rely only on me. God asks Job 69 questions of which today, with all the parameters of science, we can answer 19. And after all those questions, Job goes, whoops, I'll just be quiet. Does anybody want to know what God's going to do next? Does anybody want the answer to that question? I'll give it to you right now. Let me tell you what God's going to do next. Whatever he pleases to do next. (laughs) Because he's God and he's the creator. Two immutable truths of that history will prove. God exists and nobody in this room is him. Job found that out. And we all find that out the hard way, don't we? God has a way of taking us through those processes. But let's, let's read about this purpose. It says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Oh, the, 
Peter's going to mess us up by the time he's finished with this epistle. He's going to get us uh, not praying against the things that came against us. He's going to encourage us to welcome them because something happens on the inside of us. Uh, Can I tell you the greatest blessing that God can bring into your life is anything that will make you more like Christ. Because when you stand before him, that's what matters. When you stand before God, what matters is gold. The wood, the chaff and the stubble will be burnt up. Uh, my first job was in radiators and we used to do a lot of soldering. They don't solder now, it's all plastic and stuff. But uh, about 80% of the work we did was, was in soldering and I can remember a time when uh, we had problems with solder supply and we were getting it from a different place but I couldn't get it for some time and then our rail network and there was a huge contract doing the rail network as it was but they were changing hands into private and they had to get all their locomotives up to scratch. So we had this huge contract I had little solder and I walked into the old fella and I said, listen, he was old, he was about 80 odd years of age um, and worked, uh, a testament to he worked until, worked something like 40 odd hours a week until he was like nearly 90. So uh, take my hats off to him. But I walked in and I said, listen, uh, I said, we're going to run out of solder. I said, I need solder for this contract, I haven't got it. He takes me to some dingy dark shelf that I didn't even know existed and he shows me this huge rack of solder that Noah must have put there when he came off the ark and said, listen, hang on to this, Trev, will you? But, <clears throat> but I said to Trevor, I said, I can't use that. I said, that is the dirtiest, crummiest solder I said, I've ever seen. It was crusted with dirt on the outside. And see, when you're using solder, everything's got to be immaculately clean. And we were doing a process called solder dipping where you clean everything up, you heat it up, and you dip it in, and all the solder just runs through everything. And he said to me, he said, come with me. And we put all of that solder, that dirty, crummy solder... We put it all in this big metal pot and we heated it up and heated it up and heated it up. And he got a thin piece of metal and he scraped the top off. And all the impurities that were in that solder were gone and what was left was pure solder. And that's what it's like with our faith. More precious than gold, says Peter. And sometimes God's got to turn the torches up. Sometimes he's got to turn the heat up so that the impurities will continue to rise to the surface. The more heat God puts on my life, I find the more impurities come to the surface. There is no greater threat to a man's faith, says Charles Spurgeon, than prosperity. Gold is purified by heat. Our faith is purified by heat. that you may be found to result in the praise and the glory and the honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter's writing to suffering Christians. We're going to round this out in a moment. He's writing to Christians that are suffering various trials. And the thing that he writes to them is, you guys need to, you guys need to look beyond what's going on in the immediate. You need to see the purpose in what's happening to you. You see, the Roman Empire just couldn't get it. One thing the Roman Empire could not understand was the more we persecute and put pressure on these guys, the more the church flourishes. The more heat that is applied to these guys, the stronger in faith they grow. And Peter says, you know, you've got to look beyond your circumstances, set your joy, set your delight, set your affections in God. Then we come down to verse 8 and it says, though you have not seen him. And Peter marvels at this. And he's actually talking to people even in this room here today. 
because he says, you know what? He says, I spent, three, I spent three years with this guy. I saw all the miracles. And I saw the empty tomb. I went in there with John. I saw the clothes folded. You know, if you're going to pinch a body, you don't stop and fold the clothes, FYI. I saw, I saw the clothes folded. And I love Christ like you wouldn't believe, but you guys love him too. That's what Peter says in verse 8 here. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And that's, it's, what's the word there, brother? It's agapeo. You sign all your emails, agape. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And agapeo is a verb. Peter can see that there is evidence of love for Christ. And he says, I marvel at this because you guys haven't seen him like I have. And he goes on and he says, though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And that word believe is the same as what John uses in his Gospels. It's a verb. It talks about casting the fullness of our trust and reliance in the person of Christ. It's not just an imaginary, momentary thought. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and you rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with joy and glory. He is speaking to us. He's speaking to people today. And Peter would probably walk in this room and go, I don't get you guys. It's been 2,000 years. You guys haven't seen him. You guys didn't live with him, but you love him and you believe in him. Why? Because he can be known and experienced today. We can argue science until we're black and blue in the face. We can argue facts and philosophies until we're black and blue in the face. But you can never take away my personal testimony. I don't care what you do. You can't take away somebody standing up and saying, I don't care what you say, Jesus has made a difference on the inside. And on the inside that no man can do. No psychiatrist can fix this. They've studied this. Still can't work that part out. They've studied female ones of this. They've got no, they've got no chance of working that one out. Back doors there, gents. Back. Fire escapes. But we haven't got an answer for the human heart, you know. We think we're clever. We think we've got it all together here in Western society. But we can't stop people jumping off bridges. I was only here a matter of weeks to hear about a 15-year-old boy that stepped in front of a train from Alex Hill. We can't stop kids stepping in front of trains. We can't stop people jumping off bridges. But we can give them a good report. That's what they need. We're, we're, We're not so clever. We actually don't have all the answers. And my personal testimony is I only find the answers in the person of Christ. Say what you will about Jesus I love him. Say what you will about Jesus, I believe in him. And I set all of my expectation in him. I'm going to ask the worship team if they can come up now. And we're going to finish with a song this morning. um, A rejoicing, upbeat kind of song. Because we've got much reason to rejoice. Have a listen to verse 8 as we come to the end. It says, obtaining... The outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls.
Our, our faith is the daily pursuit that, hold, that finds its culmination when we enter in with him. Have a listen as we finish off this section down to verse 13. It says, Concerning this wonderful salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. The prophets of the Old Testament saw this and they marveled. They, 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 the grace that was to be yours, they searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. What's the note here? Note number one. You've got to be in church every Sunday because you never know when God's going to turn up. Just for, No, I'm kidding, of course. Verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that, you, that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. Scripture is clear. The angels marvel at redemption. They don't get it. Scripture tells us that they, they long to inquire into these things. Friends, whatever is going on in your life today, can I tell you that there is one who, too often we look at 9th Street and God says, I want you to look out to 284th Street. We get get so boxed in and hemmed into what's going on in the immediate around us. God says we should raise our expectations. Who's to say tomorrow morning you don't open the word of God and he just absolutely floods you. Who's to say? Who's to say we don't walk in here next Sunday and don't get out until three in the afternoon? I'm looking for nods. If I get a consensus, we'll, we'll move with that. Who's to say Who's to say that in five years from now we don't turn around and go, wow, look what God's done in Brisbane. We don't have buildings big enough to hold the people that come through the doors every Sunday. I believe that God is waiting for us to lift our expectations. Let's pray. Father, now to him who was able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask, think or imagine, we set all of our anticipation, expectation and hope in the one who spoke the universe into existence. Holy Spirit, we need you to fill us. But we need you to flood the streets of this city. We need the gospel to be lived, but we need it to be preached. And we need Jesus because, Jesus, you are the only answer for what lies inside of our hearts. I pray that every person here, that you would lift our eyes and raise our expectations in your wonderful and glorious name. And let us sing in rejoicing for him. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.